Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast. My name is Jay. I hope all is well. Hey, before we launch into the main topic of today, I want to talk about something just real quick. And I want to talk about the rich guys that died in the submarine going to view the Titanic. I have seen, I can't tell you how many jokes and memes online and on Facebook about these guys. And it really is taking some of my faith in humanity away. Now, I understand that in the milieu of our current society, billionaires are all considered to be just these evil oppressors that are ripe for a comeuppance. Can we please pretend like we care even just a tiny little bit that these guys lost their lives? Now, I don't really view this as a tragedy, and it's not because I am angry and envious of billionaires because they've got more than me. I don't view this as a tragedy simply because these guys, they didn't just choose to get into that submarine to go down to the Titanic. They paid for the privilege. And that changes things in my mind because they didn't have to be on that submarine. They wanted to go. They voluntarily signed up and paid a lot of money to do something that they absolutely knew had a extremely high factor of danger. You know, when you're down that deep, if anything goes wrong, there's very little you can do to pull yourself out of the fire. If, if something goes wrong, you die pretty much instantly. You know, sort of it's why coal mining is so dangerous. You know, first of all, it's, it's just a dangerous job to begin with. But, you know, in a lot of these deep mines, you're a mile from the only way to get out of that mine. And if anything in between you and that entrance goes wrong, you're screwed. And it's the same with going down that deep. If, you know, if everything on that sub is not absolutely perfect, what you're doing is going to kill you. And these guys knew that. They accepted that risk. So I don't view it as a tragedy. I mean, I hate that they died. I don't want to see anybody get hurt. But they knew when they climbed into that thing that if any tiny little thing goes wrong, they're never coming back up. And they went anyway. They wanted the experience, and unfortunately, explosive decompression is a very real factor in the experience that you're going for. Unfortunately for these guys, they were unlucky, and apparently the people that built this particular sub were cutting every corner they could think of. And I've seen a lot of people making a very big deal out of the fact that the sub was controlled with a wireless console controller. I know that sounds chintzy. Uh, that's really, and I've seen no evidence that the controls of the submarine had anything to do with the accident. It was just, it could not take the pressure where they were going. But everybody's made such a big deal out of that controller. There's really no difference in having a joystick mounted to the console inside the sub and using that controller. Now, obviously that controller was quite a bit cheaper than what they would have had to install if they put like a command center in the sub. But if you really look into that controller, that would be as reliable and work just as well as an actual joystick. People don't realize how little input into most machines that you're doing is actually physically doing something. In almost every case, you're sending an electrical signal to tell a computer to do something. It's like when you shift in your car. You know, when you pull that lever back into drive... You're not physically moving anything in the transmission anymore. You're telling the computer that you want it to go into gear, and the computer actually shifts the car. 
the days where when you moved that lever, you were actuating a linkage that actually physically changed something in the transmission. Those days are long gone. And if you set up a radio receiver, you could use a console to to drive your car at this point because you're not actually physically moving anything anymore if you have a modern car obviously and the same goes with modern aircraft i'm sure somebody almost all of us have been watching the history channel or something and heard the term fly by wire what that's referring to is all the control services are controlled with electrical motors and the the yoke and the rudders they're not actually attached to the the control services anymore you're not physically moving those things you're get putting input into an electrical system and that is what's actually flying the plane you're telling the plane what to do when it's doing it but you're not physically moving those control services anymore and we don't think of it this way but that is remote control and it's the same if you used a 30 dollar console or console controller just like this sub did they've made a big deal out of it but they're really they're they're splitting hairs. They're trying to find things to to go after this company for. And that company, no matter what anybody thinks, they didn't want to get anybody killed. I I don't know why they made this sub as cheaply as they did. But obviously, they weren't out to try to kill anybody. And they certainly don't want the just hundreds of millions of dollars of lawsuits that they're going to face now. But I think this situation is simply either they didn't have the money to build it the way it should have been built or there's always the possibility it's just a poorly run company. I mean, the sad reality is, is that most people are just really bad at what they do. And that may be the case here. But let's please try to remember that people did die in this. And I'm not uptight. You know, some of the jokes I've seen have been funny. And I'm not above laughing at some morbid humor. But let's try to remember that people did die just because you think that they deserve it doesn't mean that you should advertise that to the world. But believe it or not, that's not what I wanted to talk about today. How many of you paid any attention to the congressional hearings about extraterrestrials and UFOs? The government calls them UAPs now. I refuse to say that. That's a stupid moniker. I don't know why they can't just go with UFOs. That's what they've been called since the 50s. But I bureaucracies they probably paid a couple of million dollars for a committee to meet for six months to come up with that stupid name it's it's short for unidentified aerial phenomenon which is just a just another way of saying ufo again i don't understand why they changed it other than everybody in our government is a complete idiot and they can't do anything right but if you haven't been following this basically they were three former military personnel that were involved with hearings with a House subcommittee and uh, some behind-closed-doors meetings with senators to discuss the things that they could not say on public record, that basically said, yes, the government has a program to recover and reverse-engineer alien technology. Uh, we, we have uncovered alien remains in some of these ships. A lot of the videos and things that have been coming out are of actual extraterrestrial spacecraft you know basically the things that the conspiracy theorists have been saying since the 50s and everybody just laughs at them well these military personnel are saying that all of that's true and the government needs to come clean with what they've been doing and what we know it's a little bit shocking that after my entire life of the the government and the white house and the pentagon all just flatly denying any of these things for 
somebody to come out and publicly say, you know, this is all true. What's a little more strange to me is the fact that most people haven't been following this and they're just kind of like, eh, eh, okay. It's almost like, you know, in the back of our minds, we've always known that there was something going on. The government was acting way too fishy and, and now we just don't care. You know, the, the logic has always been that the government thinks we can't handle hearing this stuff and we would all freak out if it's true. But apparently we couldn't give less of a shit if we tried. And it seems like this stuff has kind of been building momentum over the last 10 or 15 years. And it could just be the Internet. and You're seeing all these stories just right at your fingertips all of a sudden instead of waiting for Leonard Nimoy to have a weekly special on CBS some, some evening. But but there's just been a lot of things changing in the way the government has approached the UFO phenomenon over the last several years. And one of the weirdest things was when Donald Trump initiated the Space Force program. Now, just on the face of it, that just seems ripe for ridicule because it just it sounds like, oh, we're starting the Starfleet Federation. And, but at the time that he did that, we weren't even flying space shuttle missions anymore. And it just seems strange that that is the time where, you know, suddenly we need a Space Force. Well, it'd be like having an Air Force when you don't have any airplanes. Why are we starting Space Force when we just mothballed the space shuttle program? The, the timing of that seemed very strange. And then about that same time, the government started releasing UFO footage from like actual military aircraft, like the gun cameras and things like that. And it just feels like they're starting to prep us for some kind of big announcement. And that's if you ever watch any of the like ancient aliens or any of these UFO conspiracy shows, that's something that they've always hinted at, that the government was going to start kind of ease us into the announcement. That sort of was a secondary plot of the movie with uh, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost that came out about 10 years ago called Paul. If you've never seen that, the titular character Paul was one of the crewmen of the UFO that crash landed at Roswell, and the government had kept him in isolation for 50 years, and he had been helping reverse engineer their technology and helping as a sort of a technical advisor to the government to others and sort of a secondary plot line of that movie was that part of what he had been doing for the government was the government was spoon feeding information to the general public through through movies and television shows and popular culture kind of preparing us for the announcement that hey aliens are real and we have one but that stuff's really been picking up speed i mean if you just look at all the pictures from the mars rovers that that show very strange things you know, even if I'm sure most of those are just natural. And if you take some, a picture of something from the right angle, it's going to look odd and unnatural. But, you know, the government looks at those photos before they release them to the public. And if that was my job, even if it was just something, just a natural formation that just looked weird, I think that I would be thinking a lot of times, let's not release this one. This is just going to inflame a bunch of nut jobs on the Internet. But there's, I mean, there's 10 of those photos every week. Now, I'm sure some of them are photoshopped by somebody just trying to get a little bit of recognition online. But a lot of those photos are really strange looking. And, and again, I'm sure 99% of them is just that it's, you know, a rock formation taken at the exact right angle and the exact right light. And it makes it look like something that had to have been formed that way other than just by erosion. But still, there are a lot of those photos where you're looking at like, what what in the hell am I looking at? How is that possible that that's there? 
And the government is just shoving those out there to anybody to scrutinize. And it seems like if they were either trying to throw a towel over all these conspiracies or if there was really something going on that they didn't want us to know about or they weren't getting ready to announce something, they would kind of downplay those pictures or, like I say, just not release them at all, which they don't have to do. But they just keep putting them out there for the whole world to scrutinize. So kind of makes you wonder why they're putting those pictures or including those pictures in the press releases. I'm hoping we'll get an explanation of why we stopped going to the moon. The excuse the government's given has always been that it was just so ridiculously expensive to send men up there. And, you know, we accomplished our goal. We beat the Russians to the moon and there was really no reason to go back. But that just never sounded 100% honest to me. I mean, could we have possibly learned all that we needed to learn? I mean, there was only six manned missions that actually landed on the moon. Of course, there were several missions prior to those that went to the moon, but we didn't land people on them. It was, you know, they would just fly in orbit a couple of times. They were taking mapping photos and things like that. But why did we just abruptly stop going to the moon? It seems like we could have learned a lot more about the geology, the chemical makeup. It seems like there's a lot more to learn than we could have possibly learned in just six missions. But the last mission to the moon was in 1972, and we have not been back since. Actually, according to NASA, based on public record, we have not been out of low Earth orbit since 1972. That's 51 years ago. And again, I don't want to sound like a basement-dwelling conspiracy theorist, but can you tell me anything else that we were doing much bigger and much better in the 60s than we are today? I mean, you know, we've got the space station and we're flying back and forth to it, but I mean, that's and I didn't do the math on this, I think, I mean, that's like 10% of the way to the moon is low Earth orbit. How are we able to go so much further and send manned missions to the moon in the 60s, and now we struggle to get people about 100 miles up in the air? That just doesn't make sense to me. And maybe the reason it doesn't make sense is because there's been whistleblowers throughout the years, and again, it seems like you're hearing more and more of this, that have said that the reason it seems odd that we've stopped going to the moon and suddenly we can't get much out of the atmosphere is because all that stuff went into black ops sections of the government and we're doing a lot more things than we used to. You're just not hearing about them. Uh, Back in the 70s and 80s, there was a man that became pretty prominent for a little while named Bob Lazar. Now, Bob Lazar had worked at Area 51, according to him, And Bob Lazar was a civilian contractor. He was, and I'm sorry, I should have read up on Bob Lazar a little bit before I sat down to record this, but he was, he was a physicist or a chemical engineer. He held a PhD in some advanced field of study, and that's what got him on the government's radar and how he came to be working at Area 51. And he has said that what he was working on at Area 51 was alien spacecraft and he was working his team was trying to re-engineer or reverse engineer the propulsion systems of these aircraft and he has gone on record saying and he's done interviews he's written a couple of books and again you know who knows if this guy's legit or not but he does not seem like your typical crackpot he's he's very well-spoken seems very intelligent uh, seems very knowledgeable about the things he's talking about but he said when you when you watch 
a sci-fi show on TV like Star Trek. He said, we have that, and we have been operating those vehicles for decades now. And I have read interviews through the years, and a couple just here recently, I've seen interviews with people or read articles where they've interviewed these people that say that they were in the military, but they were not in the normal, which I'm sure they were still within their branch of the military that they had enlisted in, but they were assigned to units that were stationed in outer space. Um, I read an interview from a woman, and I believe she said that she had started in the Air Force and she got put into this program, but she said she was stationed for a year on a military base on Mars that held close to a thousand soldiers. I saw one just very recently where a guy was saying that his duty in the military was he was aboard a spacecraft that patrolled the solar system. And on the face of it, that just sounds insane. But again, these people keep coming out. They all, you can verify that these people were in the military. It's public record who goes into the military. Just you can't always see what they're doing there. And again, with all the other stuff that's coming out. And again, you know, why did we create Space Force if we're not doing even doing the space shuttle anymore, again, why would you create the Air Force if planes don't exist? The more and more of this stuff comes out, I'm, I'm starting to think in the back of my head, maybe these people aren't crackpots looking for their 15 minutes. Maybe these people are just telling the truth about what they've been doing for the last 10 years. And how many of us truly would be shocked if the government just came out tomorrow and said, you know, yes, we've, you know, Roswell was real. We've had these craft and we've recovered remains from the crews of these ships and you know everything you've seen on the history channel for the last 20 years it was all true and we've decided to come clean i i really don't think anybody would bat much of an eye and there was a story a couple of years ago on the international space station during one of the walks they had to clean off some of the the windows to the station because algae was growing on the outside of the space station and I really can't believe this wasn't a bigger story. I mean, the algae was of the kind that we have here on Earth. That's not proof of life off the planet. But just the fact that algae was able to grow in the vacuum of space, getting just the full unfiltered radiation from the sun. I mean, that's amazing. And it just kind of came and went and nobody really batted an eye at it. To me, that's that's unreal. That First of all, it could survive the flight up there, the the heat and the friction and, again, the radiation from the sun and, and everything else. And it was just happily growing on the outside of the space station. And the reaction of everybody on in the country was just kind of, huh, all right, moving on. I just feel like that kind of news deserved a little more of a response from all of us. I mean, personally, I've never had any doubt that there isn't life. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm wording this wrong. I've, I've never had any doubt that there is life somewhere else out there. I mean, they just, the universe is too big. And, you know, a lot of people, because of religion, they say that, well, you know, the Bible says that, you know, God created us and that's, that's, that was the end of it. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong because the Bible was written by people. It wasn't written by God. And people 3000 years ago had no understanding of the galaxy or even the solar system. And that was written from their perspective. And this planet was all we could see and all we were aware of. So from their perspective, that was the entire universe. It wasn't until 1500 years later when we invented telescopes that people started noticing that, you know, Hey, these 
things in the heavens that we thought were rotating around to us. They're not moving the way they should be. And we figured out that you know the stars are other solar systems. And but even I'm sure it's rare. But even if only one planet out of a million, and not even planets, even if just one solar system out of a million in our galaxy contains life, there are, and this number changes all the time, but the estimate that I saw right now says that the Milky Way galaxy contains about 400 billion stars. Now, not every one of those stars is going to have planets associated with it, but most of them that we've seen Typically, you do have planets, but even if just one solar system out of a million in our galaxy contains life, that's 400,000 solar systems that contain life. And a lot of those are going to be much older than our solar system. We're relatively young, astronomically speaking. So a lot of these planets, they're going to have had thousands or even millions of years for that life to evolve. So there's more than more than Earth. So they're going to be more advanced than us. It's just a matter of time. We're going to bump into somebody or somebody's going to bump into us. It's going to happen eventually. And according to these people that are testifying before Congress, it's already happened. We just haven't been made aware of it. And assuming our government does come out with an announcement very soon, one of the things, and this may seem kind of odd and trivial to most people, but one of the things I'm most interested in is I want to know who Valiant Thor was. Now, I feel like I've talked about Valiant Thor in an episode already, but um, in case I didn't, or in case you haven't heard that particular podcast, Valiant Thor is the name of an individual, and or a code name, obviously, that's, that's a made-up name, but uh, this guy did exist. Um, there's no question that this was an actual person, because we have photographs of Valiant Thor. Um, there are some recordings of, it wasn't like an interview. It was more like they were recording a meeting between two people. Um, there's some documents that have been declassified that, that refer to Valiant Thor. But other than those facts that we, we do have documentation that this person did in fact exist, that's really all the information that anybody has been able to uncover about the individual that went by Valiant Thor. Now, Valiant Thor arrived at the Pentagon in 1957. Now, he stayed and worked, and some reports I've seen have actually suggested that he lived at the Pentagon for about three years. And we know that he did have at least one meeting with uh, President Eisenhower he had a couple of meetings with Vice President Nixon, and there's some documentation saying that he had meetings with uh, some of the other higher-ups within the cabinet. Obviously, working at the Pentagon, he was meeting with high-level military officials quite a bit. We know that there was a period of roughly three years, from 1957 to 1959, maybe into 1960, where Valiant Thor did work at the Pentagon. Now, conspiracy nuts have said, and I don't know if there's any documentation that he ever said this, but the story that they all, the conspiracy theorists always say is that Valiant Thor was not a human being. He was from another planet and he was here as an emissary to the people of earth and specifically to the U S government. And he was here helping us reverse engineer alien technology and trying to kind of set up trade relations for a better word uh, between some of the other species out in the galaxy and the human race. I would just like to know who that guy was because I mean, let's, 
let's be generous and let's say that there is a 1% chance that this guy was an emissary from an alien race. Uh, There's probably a 99% chance that this guy was just a government spook and they sort of erased all of his history and paperwork. And that's why nobody can find anything out about him. He was just a government agent that was working very sensitive programs and, you know, the government kind of made him disappear, quote unquote. But I would I would love to know who he was just because I've seen that guy's story so many times. And again, there are photos of this guy. He did exist. I'd just like to know who he was. And who knows, maybe the government will come clean tomorrow and declassify all that stuff and I'll be able to read the complete document set from Project Blue Book and they'll explain to me exactly who he was and plus a thousand other things that we all have questions about. But but who knows, tomorrow is a new day, as they say. All right, guys, before we get out of here, um, I think I've made it pretty clear that I'm a huge NFL fan and tonight was the Hall of Fame game. I, I don't know if you... They're going to watch it or not. Uh, preseason football is not entertaining. It's not good football. But you know, you've been jonesing for it for nine months at that point, and you're ready for anything. And the Hall of Fame game particularly is some of the worst football you'll ever watch in your life because the people playing that game, they've only been practicing for like a week and a half. Nobody's going to play their starters very much in the Hall of Fame game because you've still got all the preseason to get through, and you don't want to get anybody hurt. So you're watching a bunch of people that aren't going to make the team playing when they don't know the plays and they don't know the personnel. And it's just sad, but it is football and I'll take what I can get this time of year. All right, guys, that's about all I've got for you today. Thank you for sitting with me this long. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope I piqued your interest in some things that you may not have thought about very much. I know a lot of people don't take any of this alien conspiracy crap seriously, but something that's always interests me even though i'm I'm sure 99.9 percent of it turns out to be the fantasy and fever dream of a nut job all right but if you did enjoy the show please give me a like and comment uh, if you'll take a moment to rate the episode or the show on whatever you download the podcast from i would certainly appreciate that you can leave me a comment at freshfrozensoutherner at gmail.com or you can go to the fresh frozen southerner facebook page all right guys Have a good day. I hope everybody's getting through their summer just fine, and we will talk again very soon. Thank you very much.